Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. That's right, that's right, Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests, the great Michael Wilbon in a half hour on the Goodyear Hotline as Legends Week has spilled over into a second week. <laughs> I'll give you a sense of how this thing works. We decided we wanted to do a legendary Voices Week. We sent out, make a bunch of phone calls. You ask people to come on. You set it up. And then all of a sudden, they keep responding. So Wilbon got back to us a little later than everybody else. I wasn't going to say, we're not going to say, well, no, we can't do it. We already squoze in five. So we're going to have a really good week with a bunch more legendary voices here as we work our way through the um, the world of sports here. We're heading towards Selection Sunday this weekend. And you got baseball around the corner and the Players' Championship. For those of you who love golf, is this weekend. And Obviously, the NFL is going to get totally reshaped over the next two weeks. you got a ton of players going to get cut this week. And then next week starts the new league year, which means they will start signing players, and we will see a bunch of movement there. But I wanted to point out something that I came across. You know, I'm particularly attuned to the draft this year. It was announced last week that I'm going to host it for ESPN, which is a great honor and a great thrill. And thanks again to everybody who sent me all these nice notes. So I am collecting everything that I see anywhere about the draft. And Mel Kuyper, who is, of course, synonymous with the NFL draft, did a pretty, not pretty, did an extremely interesting thing. Mel has been doing the draft now. He's been evaluating the draft um, for ESPN since 1979. And he went back over the course of time because he says that everyone is asking him, How good a prospect really is this kid, Trevor Lawrence, the kid who's going to go number one overall to Jacksonville? Just how good is he? Just how good is he on the list of all the prospects that you've evaluated? Yeah, 1979. That's over 40 years. So he said he decided he would do a list of the top 10 prospects he has covered. In the ESPN era, in his ESPN era, the top 10 quarterback prospects of his time here. It's a pretty interesting class. And let me just run through for you who the 10 are. Number 10 is Josh Allen. Remember, he was super high on Josh Allen coming out when most of the world was not. And Josh Allen went in that draft after Baker Mayfield and after um, Sam Darnold. Then came Allen, then came Josh Rosen, then at the end of the draft, That year, the end of the first round, came Lamar Jackson. He has Josh Allen, number 10. Troy Aikman was number nine. Aikman was the number one overall pick of the Cowboys in 89. Ryan Leaf was number eight, 1998. Famously about as big a bust as there has ever been in NFL history. Number seven, Drew Bledsoe, number one overall pick in 93. Number six, Andre Ware was the seventh pick to the Lions in 1990. That obviously did not go the way that he would have liked. Number five is Jim Kelly, Hall of Fame. You might remember he wound up going to the USFL briefly before he came to the NFL, played for the Bills, and took them to four straight Super Bowls. Number four is Trevor Lawrence. So on Mel's list of the best prospects in the years, 40 years, whatever it is, 42 years I think that is, that he's been doing this for ESPN, he says Trevor Lawrence is the fourth best quarterback prospect he has seen. Ahead of Jim Kelly and Troy Aikman and some of the others that you heard. Can you guess who the top three are? I always look over at Brandon, who's our stage manager, who, God bless him, is always transfixed to the conversations that we're having here. Can you guess who the three ahead of Trevor Lawrence are? Number three is Peyton Manning, who came out of Tennessee in 98, number one overall pick. That one obviously worked out. Number two is Andrew Luck. 
was the number one overall pick in 2012, went to the Colts. You have to say that worked out. He was a great player. He was certainly worthy of being the first pick. The circumstances as they turned out are pretty terrible, but that, that is certainly not because he wasn't the right choice. And number one is John Elway. Mel has a million times over said Elway is the greatest workout he ever saw. John Elway, who was the number one overall pick in 83 in a draft that had Dan Marino in it and had Jim Kelly in it and had Ken O'Brien, Todd Blackledge, and who am I forgetting? One more, um, uh, one, one more, uh, Tony Eason in it. Six quarterbacks in round one. He has John Elway at number one. So that's just a way of giving you an indication of highly, how highly thought of Trevor Lawrence is. So we can sit here and talk about all these Jet fans who are saying to me, oh, Greeny, we're actually getting the better quarterback. Well, we may. I mean, that's certainly, I'm not here to, no one is here to say Zach Wilson isn't going to wind up having the better career. I mean, Mel's got, you know, Andre Ware and, and Ryan Leaf on this list. These things are, it's, an, it's, it's, so, it's such an inexact science that to even call it a science is probably overstating it. But Trevor Lawrence is a generational prospect. He's that high up on the list. He is a, a better prospect coming into the NFL in the eyes of the best-known draft evaluator ever. He is a higher-touted prospect going in than Jim Kelly or Troy Aikman. So that's what you have on your mind. Now, only 40% of the quarterbacks who, who get drafted in the first round wind up signing a second contract with the team that takes them. There have been 37 quarterbacks taken in the first round since 2009. Patrick Mahomes is the only one of them to win a Super Bowl with the team that drafted them. Fewer than half the quarterbacks drafted in round one wind up making a single Pro Bowl. And I think that plays off of what Dan Orlovsky was trying to say on TV with us this morning. And unfortunately for him, he kept getting shouted down by Tannenbaum and Dominique. But his point was a good one, which is that in the NFL, every player is a system player. If you're a great basketball player and you get drafted onto any team in the NBA, you will be able to demonstrate how great you are because you are not thoroughly dependent on other people for your greatness. If you're a great baseball player, I don't care what team you wind up on, you'll be able to demonstrate that. Because baseball is an individual team sport. If you can hit, you can hit. If you can pitch, you can pitch. And it doesn't make any difference what the rest of your team is. Football, especially quarterback, 100% based upon all the other things that are happening around you. So Trevor Lawrence and all the other quarterbacks in this draft and every draft, how good they wind up being will be determined more than anything else by the coaching, by the fit, by the talent around them and everything else. So you don't develop these guys right. It doesn't make any difference how much you like them at the time that you make the pick. All right, there's something I really want to do here. I'm Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and much more at Progressive.com. I need you to listen carefully. I just want you to know. Uh, came across something. I'm going to post it on Twitter right now if you would like to read it in its entirety. Um, that I thought was about as touching a story that comes from the world of sports as anything I've seen in a very, very long time. And it was written up in yesterday's New York Daily News. You may know who Ryan O'Reilly is. Ryan O'Reilly is a hockey star. He was on the St. Louis Blues. He was actually the MVP of the playoffs when the Blues won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. He won the Conn Smythe. He has a younger brother named Cal, who has also played in the NHL, played 145 NHL games. They come from a tiny little town in Canada, a town that is described as being like 40 miles between Detroit and Toronto. Very typical hockey story. The town is called Seaforth, Ontario, 2,600 people live there. And these two brothers are growing up in this little tiny town. And there is an ice rink, like a skating rink, where they used to work out. 
And there's a guy who runs that place, who runs that rink, who would allow them to come in early all the time, come in late all the time. He basically would allow them to use it even when it wasn't open. His name is Graham Nesbitt. Graham Nesbitt. Runs a little hockey rink in the little tiny town of Seaforth, Ontario. And these two kids, whenever they wanted to, he would open it up at 6.30 in the morning so these kids could come in there even though the place wasn't supposed to be open. And these two kids use that opportunity and that advantage, and they both make their way to the National Hockey League. And the family was appreciative. How appreciative? This guy, Graham Nesbitt, the guy who runs this rink, found he needed uh, an operation. He needed surgery. He was seriously ill. He has something called Berger's disease, and he needed a kidney transplant. Bonnie O'Reilly, who was the mother of the two kids who wound up making it into the NHL, donated her kidney, donated her kidney to the rink manager, at least in part out of appreciation for everything that they, that he allowed their kids to do. Many people apparently in the town stepped up to offer their kidneys. Bonnie O'Reilly was offered, was, was um, demonstrated to be a match. And so she donated her kidney to the guy who runs the skating rink that enabled her kids to wind up making it to the NHL. And when I saw that this weekend, I, I actually got choked up reading it. And I just posted at the top of my Twitter page. It's from the New York Daily News. But if you go to at ESPN Greeny on Twitter, if you want to read all the details, I hope I did them justice. You can read them there at ESPN Greeny on Twitter. But all I'll say is long live sports. We live in a world where there's a lot of terrible news every single day. It's almost impossible to avoid. But there are beautiful things like that happening all the time. If only we would look for them. And so there's one of them. The Green List is on the way. Michael Wilbon on the way and a whole lot more. Stay there. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, the one, the only Michael Wilbon joining me live in a little less than 15 minutes on the Goodyear hotline. You know, every day we do fascinating stats, and they're brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. And I have a really interesting and very different kind of stat for you today. 
All right, hashtag Bubba, jump on here with me, if you will. We're going to bring in the hashtag crew here. Um, But hashtag Bubba, many people may not know this, but you are, in addition to working here on this program as the board operator, you are also a a licensed dietitian, and you know a great deal about nutrition and other um, issues like that, fundamentally speaking. So on an average day, Bubba, take a guess. What percentage of Americans age one years old or older, so basically all Americans, all people in America, on an average day, what percentage of them do you believe eat salad? Salad. Salad, yeah. What percentage? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. People will eat a salad. Right, right, right. I'm going to go with 17. 17%. Rich from our studio guessed 55%. Brandon, what are you guessing here? What percentage are you guessing? 22%. See, that's fascinating to me. I would have been somewhere near rich. I would have guessed it was a much higher number. But you guys are actually right. Brandon and Bubba, and it should be pointed out that the two of you look like you eat a lot more than Rich and I do, but that's, it looks like both of you probably could use a salad that only 20% of Americans Eat salad on an average day. 20% of Americans. I find that to be a fascinating and stunning statistic. Our fascinating stat brought to you by DraftKings. And it brings me to a comment by which, from which I was offended, Bubba. I was offended by Robin Lopez saying this. Because I told you last week that I consider myself a foodie. Yeah, I've we, now decided we, we, I'm a self-described foodie. We're still going with this? I'm, I'm a self-described foodie. Uh, I, there is no, do there is no technical definition, right? There's no absolute definition for foodie. I like food. I care about food. I think about food all the time. Pretty much my favorite thing in the world to do is eat and think about eating. So I consider myself a foodie. Robin Lopez said the following about salads, quote, I will not order a salad. It almost seems like egregiously healthy, arrogantly healthy. I'm ordering a salad. Look at me. Look how healthy I'm being. How dare you, Robin Lopez? How dare you? I love salads. Salads are a phenomenal part of a meal. First and foremost, say it with me, the caprese salad, the world's most perfect food. There is no better food than the caprese salad. You got your mozzarella, you got your tomato, you got your roasted peppers, you got a balsamic drizzle. There is nothing better, nothing. You can add what you like. If, you, if you're one of those who brings me the sun-dried tomatoes, the marinated mushrooms, and a little basil, I'm in. But there is no such thing as a bad caprese salad. And all salad. Salad, I like salad with some sort of a protein on it. I eat salad a minimum of once a day, 100, 100% of my days. If you were to ask me what percentage of days do you eat more than one salad, I'd go something like 50%. Bubba, your thoughts? Well, I agree with you on a caprese salad. I'll tell you that much. It is a solid salad. I also like a Caesar salad. A Caesar is a fabulous salad. The Greek salad, which I happen to love. What are you saying there, Brandon? He prefers a Cobb salad. Not really my style. Don't like the blue cheese. But see, to each his own. There are so many salads that you can choose from. The chef salad a delightful salad. So I am offended by this whole notion. So anyway, I just thought you'd be interested in knowing that, that apparently only 20% of Americans eat a salad. On a given day. Feels low. Like if everyone had a salad, we'd all just be doing a lot better in general. Now, before we bring in Wilbon, we're going to try something new today. Blame me if this goes badly because it was my idea. 
you know, with the hashtag crew, people seem to really be enjoying the contributions here of the hashtag crew. Hashtag Hembo's not here today. We have hashtag Bubba. We have hashtag Nuno. And we have just plain Devin. He's lost his hashtag because his takes are so bad. But I'm going to do something here called the hashtag crew gives their takes. All right, so I'm going to give everyone one take. The hashtag crew, hashtag Bubba, we'll start with you. We just had an interesting weekend in sports. What is your take for today here on ESPN Radio, hashtag Bubba? Yeah, um, let's see. Um, I gave you all day to think about this. Oh, How could you be taking time? Wilbon is waiting. Give me a take. So my take is going to be, you know what? All-Star Weekend came and gone, but my take is I'm done with the dunk contest. Oh, I'm done with it. Done with the dunk contest. You know, I've heard a lot of people say the three-point contest should be the main event, which is probably true, but we're going one step further. Just get rid of it. It's it's run its course. It's jumped the shark, if you will. They're just there's nothing new. They're just doing the same dunks. It's just nothing. I put it on for five minutes. I'm like, this is really boring. <laughs> is anyone enjoying it anymore? Is anyone like, oh my god, this is so cool? <laughs> Who is enjoying the dunk contest now? I, I do believe it has to be reinvented. It might be something, but get it out of here. As we said earlier. Just because we don't enjoy it doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. But, Bubba, that's, no, that's a reasonable exactly take. Means. That's a reasonable take from hashtag Bubba. Hashtag Nuno, give me a, qu- a quick take. Giannis, the closest Giannis will ever get to a title was winning the All-Star game yesterday. Oh, he's, he's down on Giannis. Nuno, hashtag Nuno is down on Giannis. Uh, and, and because I'm in a hurry, I don't have time to grill you on that, but I will come back to you because Wilbon is waiting. Let me, against my own better judgment, bring in Devin. He doesn't have a hashtag because his takes have been so bad. Devin, see if you can redeem yourself. What is your hot take on this Monday? Eating raw cookie dough is the risk. It's worth the risk of potentially getting salmonella. Oh, see, this is insane. And I think I'm going to have to have you reassigned to another show. And then not only now you don't have a hashtag, I'm not sure what else I can take it's from so you. so good. I think from now on you're just going to be Evan. I'm taking away letters from your name. I took the hashtag away. You cannot eat raw cookie dough. First of all, it's a sports segment. I already did the salad shtick, so we could have used a sports take from you. Second, you're giving me raw cookie dough, so you're now inviting our entire audience to suffer from a, a, a bacterial infection. So I, I feel like I now need to make a disclaimer after Devin's take. Do not pay, pay attention to this idiot. You should not, under any circumstances, be eating raw cookie dough. All right, thank you. Hashtag Bubba, hashtag Nuno, and Evan who no longer deserves the D. Michael Wilbon will join us live next on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. 
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Greeny, the podcast. The moments and the voices behind them. I give Russell Wilson my apartment in Chicago. He just used that. Just come on. Come on in. Except what's he going to do with that team if they have to give up all these assets to get him? If you're a cheater and you're a multiple-time cheater, if this was found to be true like today, tomorrow, you know what? You're forfeiting your spot in the Super Bowl. We're vacating it. Get out. It needs more action. It needs fewer people striking out and fewer people going up there to practice putting launch angle into play. Hit the ball off the wall and run your fat cans around the bases. Steal some bases. Hit and run. Let's play baseball. This is Legendary Voices Week with Greeny. Greeny with you, coming to you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. He, along with his friend and co-host, Tony Kornheiser, have made themselves, I think, the most important voices in the entire industry of sports conversation today. But he is better known to me as the president of the Medill Mafia from our mutual alma mater, the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. The one and only Michael Wilbon is with me on the Goodyear Hotline. Hello, Michael Wilbon. Greeny, how the heck are you? I'm great, and it is a pleasure, and thank you for taking this time, and I have a million Happy different places. Happy to, my man. Happy to. Happy to talk to you. So I was going to start with something else, but because we had that little clip of you talking about Russell Wilson, here's the deal. You, you know my wife. She is from Chicago, as you are. She has already decided Russell Wilson is a bear. In her mind, and, and all of the <laughs> friends and family I have in Chicago, they talk about Russell Wilson like it's already happened. Is this going? What is going to happen there in your mind um, Michael, as far as the Bears and their quarterback situation? Nothing. Your lovely wife, she's just less jaded than I am. I might have thought that 20 years ago, Greeny, but I've been beaten down to the point. So, this is the, look, this conversation that, that, that you're having at, in your house, this is playing out everywhere where there are Bear fans. So, in my house, there's a 13-year-old Bear fan, and he comes to me every day, Dad, what's the latest? Dad, what? And I'm, Matty, there's no latest, dude. We're not getting Russell Wilson. And he says, why are you so pessimistic? I said, because I'm now 62 years old. We've had one quarterback. We've had two championship quarterbacks in that time. Billy Wade, when I was four years old on the 63 Bears, and Jim McMahon. That's it. That's the list. Two. And really, one of those guys, if he'd not been slammed around. Under today's rules, Greeny, today's NFL rules are protecting the quarterback. Jim McMahon might have led the Bears to – three or four, if not championships, certainly, you know, births in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And not too bad for the Giants of 86 and the Redskins of 87 Washington football team because McMahon was that good. At one point, he had won something like 38 straight starts when, you know, when he was actually in the game healthy. But, Greeny, we don't, we, don't ha- we don't know anything about quarterbacks. 
And I don't believe – you have to believe in your front office that they are competent enough to come up with a deal to be creative enough to get Russell Wilson. I don't believe that Ryan Pace is that. So as much as I would like it, it's I, you know, I'm just – I'm resigned. I'm resigned to – let's see, what do they do? You know, Marcus Mariota or somebody like that, um, I don't see – the Bears getting Russell Wilson, and believe me, I would be as happy as anybody you know if the Bears would have wind up with Russell Wilson. I'm not even thinking about Deshaun Watson because I don't think they have the assets even in their wildest dreams. But Russell Wilson seems to be gettable for the Bears. I don't believe in the front office. So with that thought in mind, again, Michael Wilbon is with me here. Let me just ask you in general because I've been covering the sport a long time. You've been covering it even longer. We we are entering, it feels to me, this offseason like a new era, like this this – Player empowerment is what they're describing it. But you and I both know that as recently as 10 years ago, the biggest star in the sport could have said, I want out of this place, and no one would have paid any attention, least of all, whoever it is that owned the team. So when you have Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and so many other players saying, I want a change of scenery, and it must be taken seriously, what does that mean for the NFL, and where do you think it goes? Well, it it only really means something at quarterback. Now, that is the most important position in the sport. Um, I don't want to overstate it. Let, we're we're at the position where two very tradable guys have been traded, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so Detroit and the Rams did their thing. Deshaun Watson hasn't moved yet. I mean, it's a it's a it looks like a threat, even though we've heard very little. Um, Russell Wilson has made a suggestion. <laughs> that's what that's what it is. <laughs> if you guys are thinking of trading me, here's four places I'd like to go. You know, I got four places I'd like to go to, but I don't know that I'm going to wind up in any of them. So I, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, look, they all have basketball envy. They have NBA envy. They love it that, that NBA players, stars on their level, they're, they're, first of all, the bigger stars on the, on the NBA level, um, in term, and they're global stars. And none of the guys we're talking about is a global star in the, because the NFL doesn't really have global stars. Um, and they want to be able to uh, determine where they're going, like the, their NBA brethren. Greeny, I got to see it. I mean, good for them to have that idea. But free agency in football has never really worked the way free agency at the top of the basketball pyramid has worked. And so you have that NBA envy. I totally get it. I hope Russell Wilson moves himself right to somewhere on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Let's see it happen first. Greeny and Michael Wilbon with us here on ESPN Radio. Let's work our way then to basketball. And the story over the weekend, in addition to the All-Star game, Blake Griffin is going to sign with the Nets. He isn't the same Blake Griffin that most people remember. I I, I pointed out he hasn't dunked in a game in two years, which is astonishing. But he's just an added piece. So what I really wanted to ask you about is that team. We've seen a lot of lethal trios in the NBA recently, starting with what they did in Boston with those three guys, and then, of course, in Miami and, and Golden State. What do you think of Brooklyn this year? And if they're healthy, in your mind, are they the team to beat? They're the best watch in the NBA. And we haven't even seen all three of them. Right. All three of them have played like four games. Kevin Durant hasn't been in there for this, for this nice little run they made uh, pre-All-Star break. Um, and now when he's in there, I expect them to be – James Harden makes this work. I mean, I, I when Greeny, when there was talk of it, and when they first did it, my thought was Kyrie Irving will ruin this because he's not dependable. And then again, and of course, right away, he was not dependable. He didn't show up for the games. Well, so what did he miss? Six of them, I think. 
And it wasn't because of just injury. The first few games he missed because he's Kyrie Irving. This is what he does. But James Harden is a guy of those three who still wants to win a championship who has won one. And Harden came in and basically said, let me assess the situation and do whatever's necessary. And kudos to him. I've not been the biggest James Harden fan. I mean, look, he was a legit MVP. I certainly voted for him. I think I voted for him a second time for MVP. But there have been these near misses, and there have been catastrophic failures on his part in, in the spring. But Harden is saying with his actions, what do you need me to do? I will do it. And he's doing it every night. I mean, you, you can turn yourself into a eight or nine assist guy, and it's kind of admirable. He's turned himself into a 15-assist guy. Mm-hmm. He is in the Magic Johnson, John Stockton assist areas. And I just did not expect that. So kudos to James Harden. And because he's willing to do that, not just willing, he seems thrilled to do it, then the Nets have to be the favorite to me until we see Anthony Davis get back healthy and whole. I don't know that Blake Griffin is even necessary. I, 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 you know, I did buy the argument, Greeny, at one point they didn't have enough defense because they were, you know, trending toward being the worst defense in the history of the league. You're not going to win that way. I don't care what league you're in. But they've gotten better. They can be better enough uh, on defense to make it work. And they are deep enough. They do have enough depth. We've seen that. They don't, they don't need to go out and make it. Now, Blake Griffin, I don't know. I put my reporter cap back on uh, the other day, Greeny. I think it was Thursday or Friday. And I just started calling people, uh, current players, recent former players, scouts, Assistant coaches I know and just said, so can Blake Griffin play or not? And Greeny, the answer, like nobody had the same answer. Hmm. You know, some people, some guys said, ah, I don't believe he can play anymore. And some guys said, yeah, he can. He can play. He was withholding his services in Detroit. Hmm. He was sulking because uh, Horace Grant's kid went in there and took his lunch money, took his job. Hmm. That's what some people thought. And some people thought, no, he's done. He physically... He's had too many injuries, too many surgeries. He's done. And it, but 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 coming with each one of those answers at the end was, well, you know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. and so I don't know. I ask people who would we, you and I both would qualify these people that I talk to as experts, mm-hmm. and they don't know. They don't know. They're guessing because at the end of the answer, like, I don't know if he can play again. I'm like, well, what do you think? Well, I don't think he can, but I don't know. We'll see. And it, yeah, that's amazing to me. I mean, the, the, two years ago, Blake Griffin averaged twenty points a game. Life comes at you fast, yeah. And, and as I say, I, I opened the show today by saying exactly what you said. I don't know that they need him or not. Maybe somewhere along the line in the playoffs, he wins them one game. Like maybe there's one game you look back yeah. on and you say, yeah. they wouldn't have won that game if not for him. And if so, then it's well worth it. One, one more thing, I, I want to save. If, yeah, if, if, I, I want to save some time. Be able to do that for the most important thing. And, and when when we first uh, when I was first told that you were available to come on Monday, I hadn't even realized this was this anniversary. But you have a, a middle-aged, uh, excuse me, a middle school-aged son at home, your son Matthew. That's about how old you were 50 years ago exactly, today. Exactly his age. March yeah. 8th, 1971. So 50 years ago yeah. today is the fight yeah. of the century. Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. I'm too young. Obviously, I've read a million books and I know all the... But I'm, I'm too young to have been able to appreciate the magnitude of that event. Um, but you're not. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on that fight, on what it meant meant in the culture at the time, and what you think 50 years later it means today. 
it was the most important event in my life. That's how. That's how much it meant. And I can tell you that 10 years older, Tony Kornheiser, not only can he say the same thing, he said the same thing. Because we started calling each other last night saying, are you watching this? And I apologize. I didn't watch any All-Star game. Because between that and then the, and then the, the, the GOATS series afterwards, this was some of the most amazing TV we've ever had on our network. It is the most important event of my life. Not, there's no World Cup that was even more important in Great Britain, Greeny. A, a third of the people in Great Britain watched live, and it started at 2 a.m. there. There's no event. There's no sporting event that meant more to anyone. A, 300 million people at the time watched live. I mean, what are we talking about? What's the percentage of the planet that was then? And there wasn't even the technology to bring it to 3 billion if there were 3 billion. Because because three billion would have watched, so I, I don't want to hear you know somebody say, well you know Duke Carolina, shut up. <laughs> I don't even want to hear anybody say Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Tom Brady. It didn't mean anything, Greeny, compared to that fight. And I my 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 father months earlier said to my mother in front of us, look, I'm going to get tickets and go to this. Meaning tickets, meaning closed circuit telecast. They were $15 a piece, Greeny, in 1971. 15 bucks a piece. $60 was probably about a quarter, no, more than that, a third of my father's bring-home pay in 1971. My mother said, you will not spend that much money on these tickets. And these boys will not even study or do their homework for the next three months because they'll go nuts. So my father said, okay, we can't go. The night of the fight, 5 o'clock, and you know how early Midwestern dinners are, mm-hmm. like 5 p.m. supper. We get home from school. The tickets are on our dinner plates. Mm. My father did it. Literally, the, the, the most serious disagreement that he and my mother had in their marriage, as far as I know. He got the tickets and a fourth one for my Uncle Sonny, and the four of us went. It's the greatest night of my life and the most pain caused to see Ali lose. Nothing ever measured that. No, no childhood sadness measured up to that. And so if people can watch what was on last night, they need to watch it. There's no all – I'm sorry, I missed Oprah's interview. I missed the all I don't care about any of that. Um, it's the most important thing out there. And the cultural impact of it and what Frazier and, and, and Ali meant to the world and how much they loathed each other, even though Frazier had – Loan money to Ali when he was suspended for three years. I mean, it, you can't, people can't comprehend it. So they need to put their stupid phones down at some point and stop being self-indulgent and stop thinking all the important things in the world have happened in the last 10 minutes and they're on Instagram because none of it's on Instagram. Ali Frazier is the biggest event of our lives. Anyone old enough to remember, you got to be 57, 58 years old to have any real clear memory of it. At least I do. And there's been nothing. And, the, and the, by the way, the Thriller in Manila was a better fight. The Thriller in Manila was more brutal. It brought two men closer to death in a boxing ring than what they said this. They admitted it. They both had to go to the hospital twice. And yet it was complete lack of fear or regard for their own health and safety and their lives to put on this fight. And so if people think that some, you know, some game – you know, some NFL game or some NBA game or some – the 2016 Cubs, it's nothing compared to that. And there's a brilliant d- a documentary on it, Greeny, called A Nation Divided. 
I think which was done some years ago by HBO, in which basically the nation had to choose sides. You had to choose a side, Ali or Frazier. Now, people need to look at this and, 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 and find out why, and find out why it's more important than anything they think is now important. Greeny and the great Michael Wilbon. I have like four minutes left. Basically, for those who don't know the history of it, Frazier was the quote-unquote establishment side. When you're saying people were choosing sides, right? Frazier was the establishment side. He was. Let's go even deeper and be plainer about it. Yeah. He was the great white hope. Right. I mean, the white hope was always a staple. It was a, a necessary ingredient in the, in championship boxing from Jack Johnson all the way through maybe I don't know, you know, fairly recently to 20 years ago. It was always a staple. And people can look at Joe Frazier and say, how can anybody that black be the great white hope? Because he was. Because that's how hated, that's how loathed Muhammad Ali was still going into that fight. I mean, maybe Ali had built up half by then. Maybe he had half the nation. Maybe. Um, he certainly had my house. And he lived in Chicago at the time. But he didn't have most people. I mean, the Ali we know now was not the Ali that we had then. And for him to fight Joe, Joe Frazier's kids, Greeny, hated each other mm. for a long time. I mean, his daughter, one of Joe Frazier's daughters was a lawyer, and she wanted to fight Layla Ali. This is, you know, there would be fight nights. There would be fight nights, like in every city in America, had a fight night, right? And the greatest fighters of all time would come, and you'd be in black tie. You've seen films of these things if you haven't been to one. And the one in Washington, D.C., I mean, I remember one time Ali and Frazier, and I'm talking about I was 40 years old. So this is 20 years ago. They had to be separate. People didn't know if they could sit together. And this is, this, is, this is the greatest, you know, Duke Carolina is the greatest rivalry. No, it isn't. No, there's a, there's a three installation rivalry. That is the greatest thing ever. And, and, and yes, Frazier was the great white hope. And that is one of the things that made him so bitter was that Ali had painted him, had, had positioned him as an Uncle Tom. And Joe Frazier was poorer, much poorer than Ali, had circumstances in his life to overcome much greater than Ali. If anybody was the middle-class rich kid, it was Ali who had his bike stolen. I bet you Joe Frazier never had a bike in his life. And so, you know, just the dynamic of that um, is you just shake your head. There's nothing like it today that exists, not even the dynamic that would lead these two men into the same place. Just extraordinary. Right? I, I can't tell you how fortunate we were that this was the day that you were coming on and we saw this. Michael, you know I love it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Best of the family, and I'm sure we'll run into each other soon. Be well. Thanks a million. Greeny, thanks a lot for having me, man. And same to yours. You know I appreciate it. You got it. I'll see you soon. That's Michael Wilbon, who, again, all of us who have followed his lead, he and Christine Brennan sort of started the whole thing at our alma mater, and they that means a lot to all of us. And um, but when we had first booked him, look, there's nothing you can't talk to Michael Wilbon about. But once I realized that this was the 50th anniversary of that event, and again, I don't know, I, I never know. I think Michael was alluding to this when he was saying the piece about Instagram. When I was a kid, the history of sports was an important part about loving sports. Like I learned the history of sports from my parents, both of my parents. Uh, both my parents were huge sports fans, and my mother still is. And my father's no longer with us. But and so despite the fact that I'm not old enough to remember that night, um, I would have been you know, two years old. Um, I'm well aware of the history of it. I'm well aware of the meaning of it. I'm well aware of why it was something. It was something far greater than the outcome of a boxing match. One fighter was going to win. The other was going to lose. And it was about a lot more than that. 
because it, it almost felt like half the country was going to win and half the country was going to lose. And I, I wonder if people today, just sports fans today, if that's part of the, like I do that with my kids. I talked about, talk about the history of sports with them all the time. I wonder how much young people growing up as sports fans today really appreciate the history of it all, because to me, at least, it was always fascinating. And so much of the history of our country and of the world can be told through the milieu, if you will, of what was going on in sports at the time. And maybe never at any time more so than in the case of that. It's why the Miracle on Ice is what the Miracle on Ice is in an entirely different way. And it's why the fight of the century is the fight of the century. It's why, even though, as he said, it might have been the least of the three fights the two of them had against each other, it was the most important sporting event of its kind maybe ever. What a great day this was. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. It's going to be a busy week, and we'll be here to chronicle it for you, as always. See you back and better than ever right here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.